0: Hey everyone, thanks again for coming back to another episode of Built By. This week, really excited. um, We have Sean Van Dyke, who is the author of Profit First for Contractors, and also the founder slash uh, janitor slash secretary of Built to Build Academy. Um, Thanks so much for joining Sean.
1: Hey Matt, great to be here. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I really love your story. We were talking a little bit yesterday about kind of your journey in the home improvement industry. and I want to start just with a little interview, just so the viewers can get an idea of um, your history, how you got started, um, and then to build to where you're at now.
1: Yeah, I found that I kind of stumbled into construction. I didn't uh, come up through the trades. I didn't have like a grandfather that was in the trades or a dad or an uncle that uh, I probably did some little bit of construction, maybe if I'm you know thinking about. It. But mainly, I, you know, I was, I'm a nerd at heart. Um, that's why I went into engineering school and, uh, that's not an offense. I use, I use the word nerd, you know, affectionately, uh, <laughs> I'm very clear as to what I am. Uh, so yeah, I went into engineering, got a couple degrees in engineering, uh, civil engineering and structural engineering, and then did that for several years. Um, cause that's what I thought that I wanted to do. And then as I progressed in my engineering career, and got some more experience there, I would end up on construction sites doing inspections and some other things. And I was like, man, this is a lot better than being behind the desk. And then I also realized like I could read a set of plans and I could design something, but man, I didn't know how it actually, how it actually got built. So I found my way into uh, a construction company, a large commercial construction company. And that was like, I was like a kid in a candy store because my job was a quality control, on the project management side of it. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of half in the office studying plans and making sure that everything was according to the plans. But then I also had to inspect and watch things going on out in the field. And so it was like the perfect balance of, you know, being in the office and using, I guess, some engineering um, technical capabilities and then being out in the field and and watching these guys and these gals actually build, you know, build these structures and we just post tension concrete. 12 story parking garage and student housing complex. That was one of the first projects that I was on. I mean, every, it had everything, all, all sorts of levels of complexity in it. And I was just fascinated by that, but how, you know, a lot of construction goes then that project, you know, took a couple of years and then there was a little downturn or, um, and, and so I decided to make a shift and, and found my way back working for an architecture firm that did a lot of real estate development for a real estate developer. So I worked there and then got into real estate development. And so that put me traveling around the country. And again, it was another one of those 50, 50 sort of things for me was um, I was out in the field and we're talking large commercial developments like, you know, big box retail with the outlots and the shops and all of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, $10, 20000000 million uh, type of projects that I was managing. Um, and so that put me out in the field with the contractors, um, now they were kind of working for me cause I was the owner's rep. And then I was back in the office helping the developers, you know, plan out the project sites and, and look for new sites. So that was, that was a lot of fun. But my wife was like, Hey, this is great. We had probably two kids at this time. We have five now. Um, mm-hmm. and I was on the road three or four days a week because I had I was traveling around the country to wherever we were developing projects. And my wife was like, glad you're happy. This isn't going to work out so well you need to do something else. And so I started my own real estate development, uh, construction company. Um, and I did, uh, did construction management in my local area. I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great. That was about 2005 then 2008 hit and banks weren't lending money to developers anymore because there was no more money. Yeah. Um, and so I made a shift uh, and went into residential construction and I already had my contractor's license by then, but I was using it, uh, as a construction manager on on real estate projects, so I started doing the the remodeling thing and and building homes and and then um, did that for several years and built up a pretty good base of subcontractors. And early on, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I kind of had this romantic idea about what contracting was, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm you know going to be this nerdy engineer that's now going to become a contractor, and I want to wear the tools, and I'm going to get out there and." And, and that was a disaster. Well, I mean, it wasn't a total disaster. It was fun at first, but then as I grew my network of subcontractors and trade contractors and worked around other professional construction people, I realized that I was not a carpenter. Like <laughs> I, I just didn't have the years of experience, the speed, the production mindset. I didn't have all the, the, the tips and the tricks. And I had a lot of tools. Oh, I spent a lot of money on tools. And mm-hmm. I remember the day I was in this house, And it was a house that we had remodeled and I didn't install the closet shelving right. Lady loaded up the closet shelving and came crashing down. So I had to go back out there and fix it. And I remember it was small enough that that um, that I couldn't call one of my subs out there to do. I just need to do it fast. And I was on my knees in this closet downstairs in this basement, patching some drywall and and putting in the last little piece of shoe molding, caulking it and painting it my knees were sore i had my air compressor out i had all of my tools out just to do this one little thing and i was like i am losing money i cannot make money if i'm wearing tools i make money by being in front of a spreadsheet or by being in front of a customer selling work i've got all the subs i've got all the people to do that i can't i if i want to be successful this contracting thing i just can't wear the tools anymore i need to i need to run the business and that was kind of an epiphany moment for me in my con- construction career so once I did that, then business really kind of took off from there, expanded even more and got into some higher end stuff and doing some higher end stuff. I associated with one of my friends who had also started, a young guy started a trim and millwork company and he was doing really high end trim and millwork stuff. And we had worked together for several years, went to church together. And then he approached me one day, this is probably four or five years uh, after starting the construction business. And we had lunch and he said, man, I got, I just gotta tell you something. I think I suck at running a business. And I because he was my sub, I was like, Yeah, you do suck at running a business. Like your paperwork is horrible. Your invoices are never accurate. Your schedule's a mess. Now, when I get him and his guys on site, it, it was perfect. I could trust him. I could walk away and they did a great job. I said, You're great at the field stuff, but yeah, you really suck at the business stuff. And he said, Well, what do you think about hiring somebody to run the business? I said, I think for you, that'd be a great idea. You need somebody to to, to run your business so you can focus on what you're good at. And he literally pulled out a, a manila envelope or a folder with a bunch of papers crammed into it. You know, the kind of stuff you see on contractors dashboards all the time in their trucks. Right. And he said, okay, well, here's the business. Why don't you run it for me? And I said, no, I'm, what are you talking about? Like I just insulted you. I told you you're a horrible business person and, and he, but what he is is he's a good salesperson. And he said, you know, he said, Listen, Sean, you got this small little team. You're doing okay, but I'm already into the projects that it's going to take you 20 years. Because again, he specialized in one thing. So he was able to make that leap earlier. And uh, I still remember this conversation in, in the light bulb going on for me. And he said, He's like, Listen, I got six guys. I probably need 12 to 15 guys in the next six months. And I can't do it all. I need somebody to run the business. And I like working for you. You're always organized. I want you to run the business. And so I thought, okay. All right, I'll, I'll call his bluff. I said, the only way that I'm going to do this is I'm 100% running the business. You be CEO, you, know, you own the thing, but I'll be the operations manager and I'll run the business. And he said, and like that, he didn't even hesitate. He, he just slid that crappy folder across the table, said, here's the business. And I thought he was joking, but that was his entire business stuffed into that folder. And from then we started working together. And then we went from, like I said, six to eight guys to over 20 guys, about 18 months later, the company was in debt, not making any money and we turned it around. And that's when I really realized that all of those things I'd done before, the engineering to the construction management, real estate development, and all of that stuff was kind of training for that moment to take the systems that I had built and I had used, and I was just making them up, just figuring out what worked. But to me, it showed that they were scalable and we were able to turn that company around and they're still doing really well today. So I was there for about four years And then that, you know, it happened. I walked in and I said, hey, I think I'm done here. Um, I've got this idea. I'm going to go take all of these things that I've used in my business and other businesses, and I'm going to teach them to other contractors and other construction business owners. And uh, it was a little I mean, when you're with somebody and you've gone through that sort of growth period, um, we're we're still good friends to this day. It wasn't easy to walk out, but it was the right decision, and um, and that's when I started my coaching and consulting business, and then here we are. That was about four years ago now.
0: So, awesome, man. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, getting back to when you as that you were behind the scenes, and that was a really interesting story with like shelves falling. It's like a movie. I, I can picture it now, but. Um, you know, when you realize you were better behind the scenes, um, you mentioned that a lot of it came down to processes and you're very process oriented by nature with the engineering background. So when you first took that position, um, you, you know, you were managing a smaller team and now you have this vanilla folder with a bunch of business information. So um, how did you come up with your process for leading that business? Um, Was it trial and error? You know, was it, you know, asking questions and finding out. I'd love to hear, you know, your insights there.
1: Yeah, really. I'm, I'm very numbers driven. So I very early on said, Hey, we're going to be driven by the data and by the numbers. And that's really the role of anybody that's in operations. I believe is they've got to be number driven, but when you're number driven, but then you have another partner or another um, executive or another manager in the business, um, that is not numbers driven. You're always going to butt heads. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was, that was new. That was like part, like I, I didn't consider myself a leader or leadership. That wasn't even in my vocabulary. It was like, no, here's what the numbers say. And the visionary, the, the owner of the company said, no, let's go and do all of these things. And I said, no, we got to have some data there to support doing all these things, or we're going to end up right back where, where we were. Um, so for me, um, I, I always started with the data. Can we prove it? Uh, if we can't prove it, how do we test it to get some data points? And then I learned very quickly to you, you don't need a whole database of information. Did you, you just need a couple of points? Are we trending in the right way? And usually that's enough to go to the next point. And uh, so what I, what I drew from that was saying, Hey, I'm going to systematize everything I can possibly systematize. And for me in my role, Uh, what that came down to is first thing was pricing. Are we charging enough? I can, you can run the numbers. I know how much the guys are getting paid. Hey, we need to hire another three guys. We're going to pay them generally this much. Do we have the work? Yes, we've got the work. Now, what are going to be our profits? Oh, we, we estimated this thing wrong. What we're charging now isn't enough with a larger team or doing larger projects. So we need to adjust that. So started there kind of with the estimating. And then when you send out a bunch of estimates and and you learn how to sell those when you're the most expensive guy in town, you're going to go out of business real quick unless you learn how to sell and mm-hmm. realize that price really doesn't matter. It's the value that, that you're going to be able to deliver to people. Then it came to the people saying, okay, we need another three guys, another six guys, and there's not enough time to go through an awkward process or reinvent the wheel every time. So let's invent a system for interviewing people. And let's weed out people with as little effort upfront from the managers or or executives as possible. So we started working on our hiring system. And when we started putting that system in place, then the people that came through that system, well, they, they were just better. And so that combined with the right pricing, grew the business to the next level. Then we said, okay, now that we've got all of these guys, we got to give them somewhere to go. Like we gave them a job. We stuck them out in the field and gave them some work. But it's like as they're learning and they're progressing, like if we don't stay ahead of them. So we had to design organizational charts to say, hey, you're come in at this level, spend a year or two years based on your experience or your skills or whatever you're learning, then you could move mm-hmm. up to here. And it's like, oh, we've got three guys that are that are kind of, you know, jockeying for the spot of lead carpenter. If 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 we only have one position available, but we got three guys that are qualified for it, that means two guys are gonna leave, go look for other opportunities. Oh crap. Now we got to dig in even more into the vision and the mission to make sure that, that really good people stay around and we have we can utilize them. So there's another system there on and that that doesn't sound very sexy, like, oh, you know, vision and mission and culture. Everybody uses these as buzzwords, but when you break them down, there's just a system behind everything. And that's what I about. Two years into it, the first two years it was absolute chaos. I mean, it was 60, 70 hours a week running all the numbers and doing all that kind of stuff. But then, as you get each system in place, you realize, oh, this other thing can be systematized. And when you get it, you test it out, you tweak it, and then you got to throw it out there into the world and let it get screwed up and realize what, like, where all your cracks are. And, Your employees will show you. They will expose where all the cracks are. You think that you've got this thing planned out. You said, yep, here's how it works. And you give it to a group of people that have, that don't have all the information that you do. Then they break the system, which is a good thing, by the way. But you need to, that's part of the system is like, hey, uh, instead of trying to design this thing and saying, yep, here's how it works and beating people over the head with it, you say, hey, this is probably wrong, but it's as good as we've got right now. Here's the system. Let me know. When you break it or when it breaks, let's meet and let's talk about it and let's improve it. Let's not throw the whole thing away because there is some thought that goes behind it. So it was really that week after week, month after month was just what system are we implementing? How have we broken it? How can we improve it? And then we develop managers. And then when you develop people within your company, then more of the tasks come off of your shoulders and you can delegate more, which gives you more time to work on the next level. And you just, you know, you keep going, you keep going from there
0: yeah yeah that's awesome um i want to go back to where you were mentioning you know you and um you know you have a numbers guy and you have a visionary um and they butt heads and you know it's hard i think for some leaders out there because it's very when you get to the top it's 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 ego driven it's no secret um some of the best leaders are the ones that realize that they aren't leaders um and they bring somebody in um what i was actually interested you know Working with owners and, and sales managers and, and higher ups and companies, um, do you find that like learning leadership is, you know, is it easier to learn it or is it easier to pass the buck to, you know, the person who you think is better? Um, it's. it's- it's an interesting you know, dynamic there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, by nature, some people have some qualities that serve you better as a leader. So I'll use myself as an example, being a systems guy and a data driven guy and, and a numbers guy, I have a tendency to go there first. And in certain organizations, when you need some structure or when you need some systems and when you need some data, then the person that controls the data is going to be seen as a leader. But the problem with that is, is when you focus on just those things, then some people that don't have the data, they don't know all the technical stuff, then you become, and you're known as a data-driven person, then they won't approach you with other problems outside of the data. They won't approach you with other uh, issues that are going on that might influence the data. So I found for me, being a systems guy, that my leadership kind of capped out at the operational level. And it took a team, we had a team meeting and we brought everybody together and we would do these leadership uh, discussions and meetings and trainings. And in that meeting, several of our lead carpenters were like, Sean, you're awesome when it comes to the numbers. Uh, we know that we can depend on you. It, you're, like, you're scary good at the numbers. The problem is no one likes working with you. No one, No one likes talking to you because you don't listen to the questions that people have. You're very quick to give an answer. And I realized, I'm like, Oh wow, that that's actually so true. So back to the original question, I think that some people naturally, if you are a good listener, if you have the ability to just be empathetic with other people and you happen to be more self-aware and some people's personalities just tend uh, to, to do that, those are qualities of a really good leader. For me, I had to learn that. Like Instead of answering a question, I needed to ask more questions because if somebody asks me a question, I'm gonna give them an answer. And I can be right with the data or the information that I'm giving, but I could still be wrong at the same time because of the way that I answered the question. Um, so I believe that everybody is a leader. And it doesn't doesn't matter if you're the top guy or you're the bottom guy on the totem pole. Um, you have some responsibility to be a leader. Now you may just be leading yourself and we would teach our apprentice carpenters that like, Hey, your leadership role here in this company is to be on time and to have a good attitude. That's how you can be a leader in this company. If you're, you know, if you're at the top of the organizational chart, well, you got to do all of the leadership things below for everybody else. Plus the ones that, that you're responsible for. So for me, becoming a leader, we would look for leaders that were, uh, that, that were on that path for specific leadership. You know, they had to be humble. They had to be driven. Um, but they also had to be the ability to empathize with others and to listen. And I became very aware of that because it was something that I still constantly struggle, struggle with. I'm still a systems guy at heart, but now being a business coach, I mean, that is my job is to say, okay, here's, here's the problem. I see what the problem is and I know what the solution is, but it doesn't do me any good just to boil your bowl you over with all of that, with all of that information. I've got to get it out. You've got to see the vision. You've got to see the plan as well. And it's much better if you come up with it by me just asking questions.
0: I want to touch on something you were just talking about, um, earlier when you, 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 you are process oriented, but the biggest thing is a foundation. And we were talking a little bit yesterday about you work with home improvement owners or, or sales managers that are always, um, you know, looking at the big dollar signs for the marketing, and this is a new sales strategy, and we're going to run with it. Um, but you're very, you you keep saying, you know, take a step back, look at your foundation, everything is built there. Um, why is that such a big point of emphasis for you in coaching? And how have you found that that impacts, you know, the, the home improvement owners and leaders that you talk with?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a really cheesy answer, uh, you know. Every you know, that your business has got to have a solid foundation, just like right. building anything, right? Without a solid foundation, everything's going to crumble. So I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's so, but it's so true. And and when I work with construction business owners of all shapes and and sizes, um, I used to be like intimidated by the really big companies that I work with that have a lot of sales, high revenue. But when you peel back the layers, like they don't have some of the basics in place. Um, and what I call the basics, uh, and this is what we teach in, in uh, the academy for anybody that comes in at any level, we teach, first of all, time management. That's the one thing that everyone on planet earth has in common with any successful person throughout history. We all have the same amount of time in a day, but what you'll find is that su- very successful people know how to manage and prioritize their time. So, if and it's self-serving in my coaching programs because I want you to be able to create time to get the coaching to mm-hmm. do the work of the system you know improvement or whatever it is that we're working on. So that's a foundation in our academy and what I teach is like if you don't manage your time, you're never going to succeed. So we kind of start there. Next, we always say that your business, I don't care if it's a $250,000 business or a $50 million business. Your business starts with sales. And a lot of construction business owners are selling to the wrong clients at the wrong price. So there's a couple of things there that gets into marketing and other things. But like, first of all, you got to identify what type of projects are, and clients are the ones that you make the most money at. And you got to focus on those things and those people and just work for them, which means you got to start saying no to a whole lot of other people. And that that's very nerve wracking for a lot of construction business owners because they think like, Well, I can't say, no, I need the money. And the reason they need the money and the cash flow is because they aren't charging what they should or could be charging their best clients. They haven't done that, that work. And so that's why I say after we deal with time management, your business starts with sales. Mm. We got to make sure that you're selling to the right customers at the right price. Now at the right price, well, what does that mean? Well, it's different for every business and that's the third kind of brick or block in that found foundation is the financial side. So that's what we teach them in my book, uh, Profit First for Contractors Saying, okay, now that you know how to manage your time, now you actually have some f- what I call formal sales training, not just word of mouth and we give you a price and then we go get to work. No, we want to maximize the margins. And, and there's a way to do that psychologically and, and selling value instead of, instead of price. Once you do that, then you're going to start to grow. And if you don't have a firm grasp on the financials, then you're just going to start chasing that revenue. You will grow, but you'll be growing the bot the, the top line. And I and I say screw the top line. I mean, the top line mm-hmm. is important. That's where the business starts, but like the bottom line is all that matters. The profit at the end of the day. The only way that you get from that top line revenue to having a substantial uh, number on the on the bottom of that PL sheet is through systems. And the only way you're gonna, you know, get through the PL is if you understand how the money works. If we can get those foundational systems in place of time sales and cash in place and you understand that then it you're off to the races you're going to grow a team you're going to be attracting new people not only customers but people that want to work for a company that's doing that well but there, there are business owners out there that this is going to hit home with them they're like man we've been doing great you know our top revenue our top line revenue is really high but like You know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've never really had what I should have for all of the time and effort and the risk that people are exposed to. Like if you're putting a bunch of risk out there, man, there better be a big payoff at the at the end of that. And so many construction business owners, when we break it all down, I say, okay, great. You got a bunch of sales. Awesome. Let's see how we can improve it. No, no, we're doing pretty good there. I'm like, so you're saying there's no way we can improve your sales process. Now, some people, they do. They've got a great sales process. But the ones that do, they're usually growing so fast. And we, like I said, we peel back the layers. And they're like, oh, what are you struggling with? And they're like, we're growing too fast. We have too many employees. I had a client Mm -hmm. that came on board with us. And he's like, he's like, man, we were five guys a year ago. And we're up to 13, going to be to 16 pretty soon. I'm like, yep. I've been exactly there. We went from six guys to 20 guys in 18 months. And I know you got to have a hiring system in place. You got to have a scheduling system in place. You've got to have some marketing in place because you don't have the time anymore. You know, you've learned how to say no. You don't need to spend time saying no. Get your customers through your marketing to opt out. So you don't have to waste any time with now. That doesn't mean we don't want to capture their information, send them some, you know, do some regular good marketing and and give them some value. So maybe they become better customers later on. That's not what I'm talking about, but like you got to get all of these systems in place. Now we get through this growth, what I call the growth phase. Then we get to that leadership phase where you as the business owner have got to realize, and I say this to my clients all the time when they say, Hey, you know, Hey, what are your problems? And they'll list off their problems. I'm like, awesome. Okay. Not, we, we can work on those, but, First of all, let's deal with the actual problem. Mm -hmm. You, the business owner, you realize all the problems you just listed, whether they're people, customers, lack of systems, you own the business. So they're all your fault. So let's just start there. If we can get really clear on that, we're not going to blame anybody else. It's just a process of taking the business owner and getting them to realize that they are the bottleneck of they're going to be limited by their growth based on them. So we got to systematically start removing them from the business. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't be the sales manager and the CEO or the operations person and, you know, whatever else, but they can't wear all 17 hats um, that they've been currently doing, no matter what size of the company is. So that's why we just kind of, I always break it down and I keep saying, okay, so what do we want to improve? And uh, the other thing that I hear a lot is like, oh no, we're doing, you know, our, our numbers are pretty good. I'm like, okay, great. Prove it, prove it. Like get it out of your head, what you think and what you feel, doesn't matter. We got to be able to prove it. There's got to be a system in place for it. Uh, and so that's kind of where I always go. And that's the struggle for a lot of business owners. They're like, man, I, I thought I was doing pretty good. But now that when we kind of break it down, I'm not doing as good as I thought I was. And I'm like, that's a Eureka moment, man, because now we can fix that thing. Mm-hmm. And we'll just put some systems in place. Yeah. You could probably spend some money. You have to hire some people. You have to I, interview in a different way. You'll have to, you know, no longer do those projects anymore that you thought were making you money, but they actually just eat up all of your time and just system by system, we walk through that. And uh, what I want to do in, in the academy that we teach is just to give the business owner the freedom that they initially like, well, they had this idea. I want to start this business to make some money and probably to live a better life. I mean, you wrap all that up with the word freedom. So let's give you that freedom. That you, the reason that you started your business in the first place, the only way we're going to do that is get you out of your own way.
0: Yeah. That's interesting, man. Um, you know, the term ignorance is bliss comes to mind when it comes to like, well, everything looks good, I guess. So it must be good. And I'm happy enough with the status quo, but once you actually get in the weeds and actually start digging through the numbers and, uh. Um, you know, there's, there's always areas to improve. So that, that's really awesome. Uh, really cool to hear. Um, I, I we're kind of running a, a little, uh, over time, so I want to wrap it up, but we were having a conversation yesterday and I, I thought it was a really interesting answer. Um, you know, everybody in their career, they make a mistake. Um, you know, we, it could be an F up, it could be something, but it's always like, it's kind of a redefining of that moment. Um, and we were talking yesterday and you had such an interesting story behind that, you know, moment that you were called, um, you know, where it became less about 100 percent focused on business and it was draining you professionally and you kind of shifted gears towards family. So um, what would you say was was kind of the, the, the turning point for you in your career?
1: Yeah, so it came in about, I don't know, 18 months or so after I had become COO of that trim and millwork company. And like I said, I mean, at the beginning, it was just chaos. It was, and I knew what I was getting into. Well, I kind of thought I knew what I was getting into. I Meaning I knew I was going to be working a lot. And I used to say this a lot. I was like, in the in, with the lack of systems, any kind of system makes the person that brings the system in look like a hero. So I kind of knew I had this honeymoon period of about 18 months where I was just the guy focused on the on the number. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then for the next two and a half years or two years or so, I just kind of kept with that. And all right, now that we're kind of over this hurdle, we're profitable, we're growing, we've got these systems in place. Then I was like, here's how I advance and grow this company and grow myself. And and within this company is I'm just going to keep plugging away and work more and, and do more and do more. And so I just kept working more hours. And what happened was I started to get burned out, not only at work, but then because I was so burned out that I wasn't like, present with my family. And I, like I said, I've got five kids and I've got uh, my wife has some medical issues uh, that were a real, real struggle for us for a long time, still are. Um, and it was always like, I'll just, I'll work a little bit harder and then I'll get there and then I can take a break and or then we'll, we'll get some more money and relieve some of this medical debt and some of these other things. So it was just work, work, work. And it wasn't getting me anywhere. And then it, literally one day I just said, that's it. I can't, I can't do anymore. I can't physically work any more hours. Um, and I'm kind of wrecking my home life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to shift it and I'm going to focus on my family first and I'm going to only work 45 hours a week. And as an executive, of a construction company, some people out there are listening going, man, that is not much time at all. And I'm like, yeah, I know that, but that's what had to change for me. And here's what happened is when I got, f- when I got focused on my family and my personal life first, it meant that I had less time to do my business work. So it gave me clarity on focusing on the things that were important on the business side. And it weeded out a bunch of crap that I didn't need to be wasting my time on the business side doing. Um, You know, People coming to me with questions. And like I said before, I would just answer them and I would go do it. Um, and when I said, I only got so much time, this isn't high on my importance. This isn't what drives the business. Um, let me give you some information and you go off and do it because I can't, cause I'm clocking out at the end of the day, or I'm going to be home at time for dinner or, you know, whatever, whatever it was a couple of weeks. It was like two weeks after I had like literally had that thought saying, I'm going to work 45, maximum 48, five hours a week, family first. Uh, the owner of the company came in to my office and was like. Man, I just got to ask you like what's what's been going on over the past couple of weeks and I thought oh here it comes. Like, you know, he's seen my hours drop and you know I had a lot of freedom. I mean, heck, I was running the business or whatever, but but uh he was like I've seen a big change in the past couple of weeks and I said I don't know if you want to hear this or not, but I stopped working for you. Like after 45 hours a week, like I'm done. I'm I'm going home and I'm leaving stuff here at the office. And uh and he was like That's awesome. Keep doing that because I've never had so many compliments about your work. Uh, The guys are, you know, you're really engaging with the guys and that I'm getting comments back from it. So he's like, so keep doing that. And uh, I realized that, like, focusing on my family first actually was where my priorities needed to be. It gave me less time to do the work at work. And so I had to get laser focused on just focusing on what was important. And when you focus on important things and getting those, that's what actually grows yourself and grows your business. And um, and then for me during that, that was probably another year worth where I kind of had put family first. Then I got out of my own way and all this confusion and all this burnout that had been going on. I had this idea saying, "Wait a minute, that's that." What's what gave me the opportunity to kind of step back and say, "Wait a minute." I've been solving these problems and implementing these systems for my business and, and for the for this business. And it's and I think it's scalable. I mean, I, I've seen it you know work here. Maybe I can take this out and go do this for multiple businesses. I never would have had the headspace to even think like that if I was just work, work, work. This is the way that I get I get better when I said no, work is going to come secondary. Life and family is going to be uh, is going to be a priority. There's just something in the brain that opened up that creativity and courage or faith or whatever you want to call it to say, wait a minute, I got this idea. I I'm, Maybe I'll write a book. Maybe I'll write a book and give it away for free. And then I can start teaching, you know, get some email addresses and start marketing to some people. And maybe they'll, you know, eventually someone might send me some money, uh, to, uh, to help them with their construction business. And, um, that's, really what I did. And it, t- and it took off from there. So for me, that big, my big F up was thinking working harder and working more is going to be, you know, is going to lead to a better life. No, hmm. a better life comes from focusing on having a better life and then structuring your work around that and not being burned out and being present for the things that matter. Creativity goes up, engagement goes up, empathy with other people. And um yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, that was four years ago and it's, and it's been a crazy ride ever since then.
0: Yeah, man, that's uh, that's awesome, and I can see why that's really the number one thing that you coach leaders on is that time management. You know, uh, you get as much done as you can in that allotted time, and you'll start knocking out the higher level items that you need to get done. You get bogged down with too much other stuff, but yeah, man, that's really uh, all the questions I had. And Sean, thank you so much for for joining. Um I think there's a lot of good information here um if if followers you know want to learn a little bit more about you or about built to build academy um the website's built to build uh, yeah built
1: to build academy dot com or that you can go to sean dot com and it'll link you over to one of the programs in in our academy and what the academy is is you know our our kind of mission statement is that we create confident construction business owners through on-demand business training and coaching programs so that you can make more money, stop worrying and get your life back. That's that's really what we teach. And people hear that and they're like, "Oh, it's kind of cheesy, but I'm I'm telling you, that's what we it, the way that we get there is building systems that do each of those things." So yeah, seanvandyke.com, and or you can go directly to seanvandike com slash apply if you're interested in learning more about the programs. We got a form, just fill it out and then we'll get in contact with you and get you hooked up with uh, one of the programs uh, in our academy. And we've got on demand stuff, we've got group coaching, and then we've got stuff where you work one on one with me and my team. Um, so we kind of cover all of our bases there.
0: Very cool, man. Well, again, thanks so much, Sean, for joining. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of the week.
1: All right, you too. Thanks, Matt.